Good morning. It's great to see you here this morning. Uh, in my backyard is an apple tree that I, I really grew up with. And um, this apple tree belonged to my parents. It was in, in my parents' yard. And when my parents sold their house, uh, I had just purchased a home. And so I went to their home. I dug up that apple tree and I moved it into my backyard. And uh, I, I, uh, that tree now is about, nah, it's probably 35 to 40 years old. It is a northern spy. That's the, that's the type of apple it is. And uh, last year, that tree was so loaded with fruit that we hardly knew what to do with all the apples. And we, I tried my best to, to get rid of them, but uh, there was a lot of apple, apples. And in fact, there are still pies in our freezer ready to be baked that, are, uh, that will be apple pies from that apple tree. Now, if you were to look at that tree now, which it is that tree right there in my backyard, it doesn't look like much. Uh, it looks pretty lifeless. It looks pretty barren. Uh, it, it, it has very little color, uh, no evidence of life, but if you get close to it, and if you get really close to those branches, you can see the little buds of new life just beginning to emerge. And uh, in the unseen parts of the tree, the roots inside the branches, it is growing and being strengthened and lengthening to prepare for the next season of life. And soon, uh, hopefully, prayerfully soon, we will see the product of this tree begin to emerge. Now, what you don't see here, this wasn't actually part of the story, but I'll just say it anyway, is, is behind there, see, there's an apple tree, behind is a pear tree. There was another apple tree. It was a Spitzenberg apple tree. It was Thomas Jefferson's favorite apple tree. I cut that one down this year, but that's a whole nother message. Uh, <laughs> my, wife, my wife said to me, what did, you, what did you do? I said, I cut down that tree. She said, why? She, I said, I gave it the John 15 treatment. If you don't know what the John 15 treatment is, read John 15, uh, and uh, that's a whole other message. But anyway, I got distracted. So anyway, um, let me ask you this question. What is the product of a healthy apple tree? Yeah, yeah, apples, right? You would think that the product of a healthy apple tree is apples, which is generally true, right? That's, that's true. It's kind of a trick question because without apples, you don't have the actual product of a healthy apple tree. And the actual product of a healthy apple tree are the seeds of the apple. Because without the seeds of the apple, what you have is you have one apple tree that eventually will something, it'll be gone, and then you'll have no more apples. So the, the, the fruit actually, the product of a healthy apple tree or any plant for that matter, are the seeds of that thing. And um, uh, it, it, what we need is to not just reproduce more apples, we need to reproduce more apple trees. It's been a long winter, hasn't it? Anybody agree that it's felt like a really long winter, like just rain and rain and rain and just endless deluge of rain? But don't miss the significance as we talk about this message this morning, that tomorrow is the first day of spring. Winter is over. This is the last day of winter, and tomorrow is the first day of spring. Sometimes we can feel like that apple tree in the dead of winter, uh, wondering, will this season ever end? Uh, 
When you think about all that a seed has to go through to finally begin to produce new life, it's, it's quite a bit. You know, it's, there's the tree and then the branch has to grow and then the, the bud and then the bloom and then the apple uh, has, to, has to grow and then it falls to the ground and the seed has to be harvested and the seed has to be taken care of. There's just all kinds of things that goes through, all the pruning, all of that, uh, that that dormancy it has to go through a season of dormancy. It has to go through a season of apparent death. But, but again, it's establishing roots so that it can come and grow new life. And sometimes we'll see apples laying on the ground and uh, they're wasted and they're not put in a pie or not put in our stomach. And we think, oh, that's a shame. What we don't see is that within the spent apples there are the seeds of the potential of new life. Sometimes we're you know, we're in, in the season of dormancy. Sometimes we're in the season of blossom. Sometimes we're the season of fruit. All of us are in different places along this, these seasons. And, and, and often we are looking for the apple. We are looking for the healthy apple, but God may just be looking for the seed that's there. There is within every one of us the seeds of new, healthy life, a legacy, a calling that he is preparing in you. That's true of everybody in this room. And everything that has happened in your life to this point, your education, all the things you've learned, all of your experiences, the beautiful things, the joys, the pains, the struggles, the difficulties, uh, the disappointments, the failures, all of those things, sometimes things we define as bad things, God can redefine as building blocks for a powerful calling and for your next appointment that God might have for you. And I just believe that God wants you to hear him say this morning, God believes in you. God believes in you. And for some of you, you may need to hear, God still believes in you. Let's pray. God, I just pray that as we talk a little bit today about Moses, Lord, that your Holy Spirit through the power of your holy word, would just speak life into your people. Lord, that just as the picture on the front of the bulletin this morning demonstrates, that there'd be a seed that begins to emerge in each of us of new life, where maybe we thought it was just dormant or dead. But Lord, I pray you'd speak. Lord, I, I pray you'd set me aside today because it's you we need to hear from, God. We need to hear from you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Moses grew up as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and the way that that happened was when Moses was born, there was a decree put out by Pharaoh because he was feeling threatened by the growing population of the Hebrews that were among them. See, the Egyptian empire was a reigning empire of the day. The Hebrews were enslaved to them, but they were growing in number, and so... Because of that threat, uh, they made a decree that all of the baby boys would be killed. Moses' mother, she gave birth to Moses, and then she put him in a basket, covered him, and put him in the reeds in the Nile River. Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe in the Nile, found that basket among the reeds, pulled the basket out, saw the baby, felt sorry for this baby, took it uh, for herself, actually asked one of her maidservants to... Uh, take care of it and nurse it. That happened to be <laughs> Moses' mother. And, um, 
and then Moses wound up being raised by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. So he was raised with some of the best education, the kind of education that would prepare him to be the king in the, in the most powerful home in all of the known world at that time, or at least in the Egyptian empire. And uh, in fact, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 22, it says this, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and in his deeds. Now remember that. Moses was mighty in his words and mighty in his deeds. He had all of this education, all of this training. Born a Hebrew, raised uh, as an Egyptian. Now um, his, his Hebrew brothers that he was born into were enslaved by this Egyptian empire. Moses, uh, when he's 40 years old now, after he's been raised in this, this sort of world, he goes out to visit some of his brothers, some of his Hebrew brothers out there who were working hard labor by the ta Egyptian taskmasters of the day. So he went out there, he saw what they were doing, he saw that his brothers were being mistreated, and in his justice, because Moses was a justice person, in his justice, in a moment of, of anger, and then this sense of justice, he struck down the Egyptian taskmaster and killed him. And in, in, the, in the account in the book of Exodus, you can find this in Exodus 2, 3, and 4. In the account in the book of Exodus, it says that Moses looked to the right and to the left, and then he buried him in the sand. His anger got the best of him. But he thought, you know, he was doing God's work. In fact, when he talked to his brothers and sisters later, he said, you know, I, I thought I was rescuing them. I was doing God's work rescuing uh, you from that evil taskmaster. Master. Well, he, he goes back, he comes back the next day and he sees two of his Hebrew brothers fighting out in, the, you know, they're working, but they started fighting and he breaks up the fight and says, hey, don't fight amongst yourselves. And they said, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? So while Moses thought the thing that he was doing was justified, perhaps maybe the ends justified the means or the means justified the end or, you know, may, he thought maybe he was justified in what he'd done. The truth was he was found out. It was recognized that he had lost his temper, that he had killed that Egyptian. And now Pharaoh, who essentially, remember he was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. Essentially Pharaoh had been acting this whole time, sort of, as his grandfather. But now Pharaoh is out to, he's after him and he wants to kill him. So because of Moses' anger, because of his sense of justice and striking down this Egyptian, his failure... Moses winds up being a fugitive. He flees to Midian. He's living in Midian, starting a new life there. He gets married. He, he meets his wife. He has a couple of kids. And uh, he started a new life. His father-in-law there now is a priest of Midian. He's become a shepherd, Moses has. He is, uh, he is, he is, you know, uh, he is, he's still a, a fugitive from where he grew up because they wanted to kill him. But at least he established a new life and uh, a new normal there. So Acts chapter 7, verse 30 to 34. As I said, you can find the whole story in Exodus 2, 3, and 4. But we're going to read Stephen's recounting of the story out of Acts 7. Just this little portion, verses 30 to 34. It says, After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning. I have come down to set them free. Now come, and I will send you back to Egypt. Now, remember, Moses was 40 when he strikes down the Egyptian. He's been in Midian now 40 years. That makes him how old? Okay, you guys are sharp this morning. So, um, so he's 80 years old, he's out in the field, he sees this bush burning, not particularly unusual that something would be burning out in the field, I imagine that happened once in a while, but it was unusual, he was drawn to it because this particular bush is burning, but is not consumed. And the other really unusual thing about this that was unique from other bushes is this bush was talking. <laughs> and so he, he's drawn to this, he's drawn to this bush And the thing he hears the voice say, it was the voice of the Lord, according to Scripture, it says, I am the God of your, uh, I am am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Take off your shoes. Now, why did he say that? Why did he start with this? Why, Why say I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Well, it's because those guys were the legends. In the Hebrew mind, in the Hebrew culture, it was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are the people that God worked through. Those are the people that God did the miracles through. Those are the people that God spoke directly to. It was Abraham who was the one who received the covenant from God that he would have you know, descendants as far as the, as many as sand on the seashore, that, that, um, that he would lead them into a place filled, flowing with milk and honey. You know, it was, that was Abraham who heard those words. He, he was the father of the covenant. And then Isaac was the son of promise, the miraculous son, born to Abraham and Isaac when they shouldn't have been able to have, or Abraham and Sarah, when they shouldn't have been able to have uh, a baby. And so that's Isaac. And he has his own legendary status. And then Jacob, of course, the son of Isaac, was the father of the... Twelve who would become the fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel. These were the legends. These were the people that God would speak to. These were the people that God worked through. These were the stories that the Hebrew people know, including Moses. I just believe that what's happening here as God speaks through this burning bush is this, that God is saying things essentially helping Moses understand Uh, I want you to understand, Moses, who is speaking to you. I want you to recognize the magnitude of this moment that you're in. That I'm not a small, weak God. That I want you to take your shoes off because I'm a holy God. And wherever I am, that place is holy. That, that I don't think God wanted Moses to miss. Now, it's difficult to miss. When you hear a bush talking to you, you know something special is happening. But I think Moses wanted, or God wanted Moses to understand exactly who it was that was personally speaking to him. And I, and I think he, he wanted Moses to understand that, listen, I'm, I, I'm not just a God for them. I'm the God for you too. I'm not just the God who was. I'm the God who is. I'm not just a God of stories past. I'm the God of your story today. I'm not the God of legend. I'm the God who is with you right now. I'm not just the God who worked. I'm the God who works. Moses is getting a firsthand glimpse. He's getting quite a dose of the glory of God. And when we hear that word glory of God, that's a hard word to define. And the way that I can best understand it in my simple mind is this. It's God's character gone public. So when you think about 
The heavens declare the glory of God. When you see the heavens, you see the star, you can see the beauty, you can see the creative power, you can see the order. That's all things about God's character. He's beautiful. He's got a God of order. He's a God of power. That's God's character on display. That's the glory of God. And Moses is getting a heavy dose right here of the glory of God. And Moses finds himself in this place of awe and wonder. And the wonder of God prepares us for the call of God. When we get ourselves positioned in a place of the wonder of God, that prepares us for God to speak to us for what what it is He wants to do in and through us. You know, there are a lot of ideas in this world, and, and, and there are a lot of good ideas, but if an idea doesn't take into account the wonder of God, it can still be a good idea. It can still be a useful idea. But what I believe we desperately need in our society right now, in our culture right now, is we need people not only with good ideas, we need some people who hear God's ideas. We need some people who hear redemptive, powerful, life-changing ideas that come from God. And when we recapture the wonder of God, God starts to give us His ideas. He starts speaking to us. How do we recapture the wonder of God? Let me give you, these aren't on the screen, but let me give you three just really quick, simple ways that I find that help me to recapture the wonder of God. One is just through worship. Just worship. And I don't mean Sunday morning for 23 minutes. I mean just a life of personal worship that all the things we do become worship unto God and that we have times where we just get in the presence of God He says to Moses, take your shoes off. This was an act of worship for him. And um, I I will just speak for myself that I too often do the work without doing the worship. I get busy. I I think I gotta be productive. And and, uh, sometimes we want God to tell us what to do and tell us what we should be doing, tell us the decisions we should be making, but we haven't even spent time with him. And he says, take your shoes off. Reestablish who your God is. It's easy to just settle. It's so easy to become so familiar with our life, with our preferences, with our current God experiences that we lose the wonder and the power of the directional voice of God. And sometimes we just need to get back into that place where we remember who our God is. We need to take our shoes off. Take off that stuff of our life that we have tracked in, the stuff that gets between us and the sense of His presence our pains, our disappointments, our failures, our comforts, our sins. Take that stuff off, leave that stuff, and, and, and dig your feet and our toes and to feel the very presence, the power, the provision of God. God wants us to see it. God wants us to hear it. God wants us to feel it. God wants us to smell it. You imagine the, just the senses in Moses as God is speaking to him through this burning bush. All of his senses are coming alive because he's in the very presence of God. That wonder is an amazing thing, but that's not just for Moses, that's for us too. We can get so focused, again, I'll speak just for myself because this may not be true for anybody else in this room. We can get so focused on the normalcy of our everyday life and all of the stuff we have to do that God's voice can just become another blip on the screen or a box to check off I did my God thing today and we might have good disciplines in our life maybe even godly disciplines we read our Bible and we go to church and we we do all you know some areas of service and we've scheduled God in but we've stopped having God encounters and I do believe that God wants us to encounter him
Sometimes we're doing the work, but not the worship. But the beautiful thing is, when we do the worship, God does the work. The second way we can recapture the wonder of God is never lose your curiosity about God. Just never lose your curiosity. Never stop asking these questions. I wonder what else I don't know about God. What else is God like? Or how does God do that? Those are, those are good questions for us to have. And, and I would say that the moment we believe we have the handle, we have a handle that we've got it all figured out, we've got the nature and the character of God, character of God all figured out, is the moment we start losing the wonder. Because there's always more to discover about who God is. There just is. Never lose your curiosity. And I can guarantee you this. There are things about God that you don't know right now. Right? Never lose that sense of, ah, I want to know Him more. That's why I love going to the mountains. I love to go to the mountains. I love to get on a high ridge, and I love to look out over the valleys and look at the, the hillsides across, because I look at that, and the thing that I see when I look at that is I see the power of God. I see the beauty of God. I see the creativity of God. I see the designs that He does. I see, the, I see all of that when I look out, and when I see all of that, and I see... God is so powerful that He could create all of this, that He could speak, and all of this could come into creation and order and beauty. All of this is attributed to His power. And then I think that a God like that, who is that powerful, if He wanted to accomplish something, He could speak it, He could accomplish it in any moment. That's how powerful God is. He could could say the word and He could get done whatever He wants to get done, but for some reason and somehow, He decides He wants to have a personal relationship. That God, that powerful God, wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with me. That just blows my mind. And And then not only does He want to know me personally, but that He wants to use me to accomplish something that He could just do like that. But that's because he believes in us. That's a beautiful thing. So don't lose your curiosity about who he is. And the the third way to recapture the wonder is read your Bible. Just read your Bible. Sometimes we think, well, Moses had it easy. He had a burning bush. I mean, of course he's going to follow God. God's speaking to him. This bush is burning and, you know, he's coming, a voice coming out of there. Who's not going to follow that? We think, if only I had a burning bush. Can I, can I tell a story I didn't mean to tell right here? Okay. I like what are you going to say. No. Um, so a friend of ours, his name is Gary Kahn. He's a pastor in Southern California. When we were moving to come up here to start the church in 1993, we wanted him and his wife to come up and move here with us. And Gary, you know, he was, he was pretty settled in his ministry position down there in Southern California, and so we couldn't talk him into it. And he said this. He said, you know, Chris, the only way I'm going to come is if, I, if we have a burning bush experience. Now, if you know anything about my wife, um, she got an idea. And at the time, he lived kind of in a townhouse, and so my wife goes, let's go get a bush. <laughs> so we, Southern California, right? It's dry, and we were in drought. So we got a bush. We took it to his front porch. My wife lit that baby on fire. <laughs> we knocked on the door, and we ran. And uh, he still didn't move up here with us. We've been... <laughs> We've been talking about his disobedience for the last 25 years in that. But 
Anyway, so um, anyway, we, we, we want to have a burning bush experience, right? This is our burning bush. When, when God says to Moses, I am the God of the, your, your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what he's saying is, that's the God, you know, that, that's, the sto- you, that's the stories you've heard. That's the, that's the one that, that I have spoken with. Well, we have all the accounts of who God is. We have all of that story. And he's not just the story of the, of the history of, uh, that, that's in this book, but he's the God of today too. But this reminds us of who he is. This reminds us of his character. This reminds us of his power. And, and when we have this combined with the fact that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us and then we read about who he is and the Holy Spirit brings that to life, that's our burning bush. But sometimes we get so... Um, either we don't read it or it just becomes like a, like a textbook. But don't lose the sight of the fact this is living and active. And, and you can restore the wonder of God if you spend time in this word. Okay. I went a lot sideways there. So Moses is in this posture of wonder, uh, remembering just how big God is and, and realizing how close and personal God, that big God is right there in that moment. And, and, when it, and it's when we remember the wonder of God, no calling seems too big because we recognize we've just been in, in the presence of the God who's bigger than anything we could face. He's going to be called back to go to, the, to, to a new pharaoh to ask that pharaoh, that place from where he was running because they were coming after him for his life. He's going to be asked to go back to that spot to deliver his people out of <laughs> their slavery. And that's a big task. And those tasks seem big until we've been in the presence of the God who's so much bigger than anything we will ever face. And then the call comes to Moses. Remember, Moses has been there now for 40 years. Been getting a second wind. Got a wife. He's got a kid, couple kids. He's got a new job. He's a shepherd. You know, he's got a new rhythm of his life. His 401k is probably kicking in. He's, you know, he knows where his local Starbucks is. He knows the baristas. They know him. I mean, he's settled into his sort of new lane. He knows his, all of his wife's family lives there. Um, and so it's comfortable, and, and he's just working on the farm. Life is easy. He's left his old training behind in Egypt. Life is normal for Moses, and normal is good. He's pretty settled. He's 80, probably bought a Rambler. You know, he, he's, he's doing fine. But God saw within him something, seeds for something greater than his current experience. In verse 34 of the passage we read, God says these words to Moses. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. God's call is disruptive. God's call is disruptive. Rarely is there a time when God speaks into somebody's life where it's like, okay, I'm ready, God, for just everything. I'm just, I've cleared all my calendar. I got really nothing going on. So whatever you want to do, God's call is, is disruptive. It always, it always brings some, some disruption. And, and, and he's essentially saying to Moses, Moses, I'm not done with you. you know, and while God's call is disruptive, one of the image, imagery, part of the imagery of the burning bush that I love is that here's this bush that's burning with fire and God's speaking out of it, but it is not destroyed. The, the call of God is disruptive, but it's never destructive. 
that God will speak sometimes out, you know, from the fire of the Holy Spirit. He'll speak something. It'll disrupt your life, but it'll never be destructive to your life. That's, that's just true. So Moses had settled into a new rhythm. The last time he tried to do something for God, it resulted in failure. It resulted in him being a fugitive. And I'm going to try to illustrate this um, with a little object lesson. You okay with an object lesson? All right. So let me just illustrate each of these representing a different season or piece of, of Moses' life. So when he's a baby, Moses is born into the Hebrew family. He, uh, he is rescued out of the Nile River. That's a beautiful thing. He is raised by uh, the, the uh, Pharaoh's daughter in that family. He gets a really, really great education, the education that could prepare him to be a king. Uh, yet he is a Hebrew, so he has that connection with his Hebrew family. And so all of these things are building. This is kind of his life for his first 40 years. All, all of this is beginning to define kind of who Moses is and what he's done. But then he has this failure where he strikes down the Egyptian. And at the moment of that failure, to Moses it felt a little like that. Okay, all of this stuff, all of my life to this point, has been building for 40 years. In this one failure, now I'm running as a fugitive. All of that stuff that I had done is now wasted. I got to start over. He goes to Midian. He starts over. He, uh, he meets his wife. He has a couple of kids. He begins to reestablish kind of a new rhythm. He's now a shepherd. Do you think the fact that he's a shepherd might come in handy for his next assignment? Of course it would. And uh, he, uh, he, has set, he has settled in there. He, he, he's established a, a whole new life. So now he has new building blocks in this next 40 years of his life. That's who Moses is now. And then God's call comes and he says, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to let my, tell, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses is like, no, 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 no. I've got my new rhythm here. I'm all settled here. I'm good to go. And in fact, when God calls Moses, the last time he tried to do something for God, it resulted in the fact of him being a fugitive. It resulted in the fact of him fleeing. So he said, God, I can't do that. I go, th- that all represents the time and the place of my failure. For Moses, all that first 40 years was wasted. But here's how God sees it. You think it's wasted, Moses. You think, that, you, you think you're all done there. But here's how I see it. You call it failure. You call it pain. I call it wisdom. And I call it experience. So you've called failure and what you've called pain... I can redefine that now as wisdom and experience. Those now become new building blocks upon which you can build. So all of the stuff of your life before, the fact that you were born into this family in Egypt, the fact that you had this training, the fact that you were raised by as a son of Pharaoh's daughter, the fact that uh, even, the, even the fact that you made some of these mis- this mistake. And then you move to Midian, and now you are a uh, shepherd. Do you think the fact that he's a shepherd would come in handy as he's leading God's people? Uh, he has kids. He has a wife. He has his personality, his sense of justice. All of the things that make Moses who he is. Where he thought that one season was wasted, God uses it all as building blocks for the assignment that God would have for him next. And they would all come into play. You see, with God... 
Nothing is ever wasted. God doesn't waste anything. He redefines pain and failure and disappointment as experience and wisdom and authority. Sometimes we can feel like we're in this season of dormancy. Nothing's happening. But don't despise the dormant season. I have a friend named Daniel Solomon. He's a, he's a man from Eritrea. Eritrea is a country on the Horn of Africa. And Daniel was, grew up there and he became, he became a follower of Christ, evangelical follower of Christ. He was trained to be a pastor. And he actually became a pastor in Eritrea in a time where there was great persecution for any church outside of the instituted state religion there. In fact, there was such persecution, they would take pastors and they would put them in, in steel shipping containers where some would die and starve to death and some would barely survive. They were persecuted horribly. And so because, he, because it hit the fact that he was a pastor put his family, his wife and kids at risk, and of course his own life was at risk, he escaped, he fleed as a, fugitive, or as a refugee out of Eritrea, came through South America, came up into the United States, into the Bay Area, where he met some connections there. And he discovered when he landed in San Francisco that there's about 15,000 other Eritreans in San Francisco. And then there, he found out there's 25,000 Eritreans in Oakland. And so Daniel, trained as a pastor, but fleeing as a refugee out of Eritrea, decided to start ministering to those Eritreans that were in San Francisco. He planted a church that is now reaching Eritreans in San Francisco, and now a new church is being planted in Oakland that will reach Eritreans in Oakland. So here's a man who is trained in ministry in Eritrea, flees there, and now is able to minister as a missionary to America from Eritrea to Eritreans in San Francisco. God doesn't waste anything. In verse 34 of, of uh, Acts 7, it's, God says these words too. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and I have come down to set them free. I've come down to set them free. The thing that God is telling Moses is this. Listen, there's people who are in bondage. There are people who are enslaved. And you've got to go set them free. God's call is always about setting people free. Now, the one often he is setting free when he calls us is us. Right? He's setting us free to be who God created us to be. And that's a beautiful thing. But through our lives, his call is always about setting people free. Moses had lost his confidence. He didn't believe he could do it. In fact, he started telling God all of the reasons that he wasn't qualified to be the person who would set uh, his people free. He said, God, what if they don't believe me? And God said, well, I'll, I'll show signs, miraculous signs through you. He said, what if they don't know who I am or don't believe in who you are? He says, well, I'll, I'll be there with you. He says, well, God, I don't know how to speak. Remember in Acts 7.22, the first verse we read, it says that he was mighty in word and deed. Moses had completely lost his confidence. And, and, and so God says to him when Moses says, well, what if I don't know what to say? He says, well, I'll bring Aaron alongside. Listen, I've got this, Moses. And, and God was okay with all of those things that Moses, excuses that Moses was coming up with until he got to one other word. One other, one other thing where, 
where Moses said this to God. He said, pardon me, Lord, would you send somebody else? It was at that point, it says, that the Lord's anger was kindled. And the reason at that point the Lord's anger was kindled is because there's too much at stake. And the need is, the need is too great to let our doubt, our failure, our discouragement, our pain, our frustration, our disappointment get in the way of other people's lives being set free for the sake of God's kingdom. Our comfort, our security. The mission is too big. And one of the reasons that we got to get before God and listen to what He has to say and remember who He is, it's not just so that God can remind us of who He is, but it is so God can remind us of who He believes we are. When we get before God and God says, listen, Moses, I want you to go, essentially what God is saying to Moses is this, Moses, I still believe you can do it. I know you've been settled here for 40 years. I know you left that old training behind. I know you left your leadership behind. I know you're really comfortable here. But listen, Moses, I believe in you. I believe you can do it. And he's, he's telling Moses, essentially, Moses, you have got to quit telling me what I can't do through your life. And I think for some of us, we need to hear God say, you've got to quit telling me what I can't do through you. Every one of you has a story. Some parts of that story that are, I, I recognized it, maybe you'd rather forget. Some part of that story might have pain or failure attached. Maybe you feel a little like some of those pieces are still scattered on the floor and they haven't been redefined yet as wisdom and experience, but they still feel very much like pain and disappointment and failure. I understand that. And, and sometimes we just need, there, there's time is necessary and healing is necessary. We, we, and, and we have to be careful about that. But every one of you have story. But please don't believe that your story is over. Please don't believe your story is over. Inside of every one of you are the seeds of new life. It might seem dead. You might be looking for the apple that's not there, but God sees the seeds that are within you might just see broken, scattered pieces, but God wants you to see building blocks that He can use all of those pieces for the sake of His glory. You have a power, powerful ministry within you. All of you do. And when you get before God and when you're reminded of who He is, He will remind you of just how much you still have to offer. He will. God's call is a reminder that He still believes in you. God's calling on your life. God, God's encouraging you to re-engage as a reminder that He still believes in you. I love the kind of God our God is. He's the kind of God that can turn an 80-year-old Moses resigned to a quiet life as a fugitive because of his own failure. He can turn him into a deliverer of God's people. He's the, he's the kind of God that can turn a Samaritan woman who was shamed by her sin and outcast because of her race into one of the very first missionaries on behalf of Jesus, an evangelist. He's the kind of God who can take an angry, religious, self-righteous zealot named Saul and turn him into one of the first church planters. That's the kind of God he is. He's the kind of God who can take an Eritrean 
trained believer named Daniel who was running for his life and he turned him into a voice for other refugees in the barrier to proclaim the gospel. That's the kind of God he is and he's the kind of God who can take your story and he can make it powerful for his purposes. Maybe, maybe you knew God's call at one time. And maybe you feel like you squandered it or maybe you thought circumstances beyond your control destroyed it and maybe you feel like it's just still scattered on the ground. But God still believes in you. God still believes in you. And God has a calling on every one of your lives and He can use everything you've experienced in this moment to this point. Your joy, your personality, your, your education, your failures as building blocks for what He has for you next. So how do we respond? Let me give you just this closing. Recapture the wonder of God. Maybe you just need to get back into times of, in a place of personal worship. We just need to be reminded of who God is. Maybe you need to get back into the word and ask God's Holy Spirit to just help you see who God is with fresh eyes and new eyes again. To be reminded of his name, reminded of his character, reminded of his qualities, and just be reminded of the wonder of God because it's out of the wonder of God that we can start to hear his ideas. Remember that God believes in you, that God doesn't waste anything, that God still believes in you. And third, respond to the call of God. Maybe God has been prompting something in you. Maybe it's been, you know, you need, to, you need to consider stepping into some area of ministry. Maybe it's, it's uh, you know, beginning to share your story with other people so they can know the God that you know. Maybe it's a, a calling into vocational ministry. Maybe he's calling you to train. We had, a, we had a young lady in the first service come up and say, I know God is calling me to, be, to go into ministry, maybe to, to be a pastor, maybe to plant a church, you know, whatever that is. Maybe God's calling you into some, some deeper ministry education, training, but respond to the call of God, whatever it is that God is calling. Don't, we need to stop telling God what He can't do through us. And we need to say yes to God. Say yes to Him. Built into the DNA of Celebration Center is the heart to multiply. Yes, bear fruit. We want the church to bear fruit. We want, we want this tree to grow bigger and we want there to be as many apples in this tree as this tree can possibly manage. But the, in the DNA of Celebration Center, Pastor Mike and I talked about this, is this heart to multiply. And this is why you invest in church planting. Because you recognize, we recognize that it's not just about this tree, but it's about the seeds that come out of this that will multiply this beyond what we could ever touch. And each one of you is an apple on this tree, but within every one of you are potential for new life, new ministry, places to serve. Say yes to God. There's a couple of examples of that in this very room this morning. Dana Rook. Dana's sitting right back here. Dana, I remember I got a message from Dana. This was just, just right near when I resigned. It wasn't because of her I resigned, by the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, before, just before I got this message from her, and she talked about this idea about yoga faith as something I wasn't familiar with, but this idea of incorporating yoga in, in, into, the, into the church world with, with Jesus at the center of it. I remember hearing about it, and, and I've been so thrilled 
that Mike has released her into this mission, into this ministry, Pastor Mike has. Because you might not know the whole story uh, behind Dana. I don't know the whole story, but I know this part of it. Dana was a very active young woman, and she was in a terrible car accident, struck by a drunk driver. It should have killed her. Uh, at the very least, uh, could have been uh, disabling. Um, but she worked through that. God brought her to a place of mobility again. And uh, it's, it's act- also no accident that, that she works in the medical professional field. But out of that, God put in here, planted her in, into her these seeds of how can I use that experience and that difficulty uh, and that disabling event that could have been disabling and turn it into something good for God's glory? How can I help people come to a place of health in their body and health in their mind and health in their spirit? Use that for God's glory. So God took all of those pieces of Dana's life, put them together, the pain and all that, put them together to, for the appointment God has called her to now. I think that's beautiful. Donald Bowers sits back at our sound booth. If you don't know Donald, you should because he's a, he's a rock star back there. And um, he runs the audio technical part. But what you don't, might not know about Donald is, yes, he, is, he has a brilliant technical mind. He just functions in the technical world. He works on computers. That's what he does. Uh, he understands that whole world. But, but what he also is, is he's a great musician. He plays the bass here, but he also plays the saxophone. If you ever need a saxophonist, Donald's your guy. Uh, but he plays the saxophone. He's, so he's a musician, so he understands the musical side of things. But what, what, else, what else I know about Donald is that uh, he has ministry training in his background. So he understands ministry, and he understands music, and he understands the technical side. Take all those pieces, you put those together, and now he runs the audio-technical portion of Celebration Center. It's just a beautiful way of God taking all these pieces together and, and, and aligning them up for the appointment God is calling them to today. And God has something like that for every one of you. And don't miss it. The song we sang this morning is, You're a Good, Good Father. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. But there's a, there's a little bridge in there that says, you are perfect in all of your ways. And I want us to think about that, and I want us to consider whether we really believe that. Because it says, not, it, the, the, the line in that song doesn't just say, you are perfect in all your ways. It says, you are perfect in all of your ways to us. So you think about your life, you think about the circumstances of your life, and sometimes we think, God, you haven't really been perfect in all of your ways because I've had this pain or this difficulty or this circumstance. But God, again, can redefine some of those things as building blocks for His purposes. I just encourage you to reconsider, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Let's pray. If any of you have, in your response... If you would say, you know what, I need to recapture the wonder of God. I need to get back into the Word. I need to get back into worship. Or maybe you, you just need to remember that God believes in you, that God doesn't waste anything. Or maybe you, are, you need to respond to the call of God. You know, God is calling you to some aspect of serving Him in a new and a fresh way. Maybe it's scary, but there's, there's something great about that terrifying exhilaration of the life of faith. But if any of those describe you, would you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Okay, God, I, I pray for these. God, I just ask that you would, you would just confirm your word in each one of their hearts, Lord. For those who need to recapture the wonder of God in their life, Lord, reveal yourself in a new and in a fresh way to them again.
God, for those who need to be reminded that you believe in them today, that you don't waste anything. God, I pray that you just restore that confidence, Lord, in who you say they are. And Lord, that confidence in you to trust you. And God, for those who you're calling into areas of ministry and areas of service, Lord, I just pray that you would guide them, that you'd lead them into the right path, that you'd give them the right people around them to support them, that you'd show them the steps to take. Lord, that if they're to be engaged in a service of ministry here, Lord, that there'd be open doors for that to happen that would fit who they are in your calling for their life. And God, we ask your blessing on them.